0: Listening to the Velocity Podcast with hosts Craig Caperso, Adam Walters, and Holden McRae. Our goal is simple: increase the speed at which you succeed. Let's
1: go! All right, we're here. This is the Velocity Podcast, and my name is Craig Caperso. I'm with my host Adam Walters, and we have Holden McRae on the line today. And we are going to talk about what does it mean to be healthy and fit. The definition has been all over the board through the years, as uh, we were just talking off offline here with Holden, and we were just discussing the connotation where it meant in the '80s to the you know the '70s and what it means today. And I'm sure each one of us is going to have our own definition of what that actually means and what you might be searching for, or what Google Trends might be searching for, and why possibly you might not want to search for losing weight essentially but losing body fat. And there's so many different health and fitness tips that we're going to provide for you. And this is an episode that you're going to hear much more frequently and expanded over the course of our Friday sessions where we do healthy fit Friday where we give you some tips and tricks on how to keep yourself in deep health mind body and spirit so let's without further ado let's get this on so Holden we were just talking and we mentioned the fact that you know What does it mean to be healthy and fit? And when you grew up, what did that look like to you? You know, as you you were a young man, you were reading, you know, uh, what the magazines or what the articles were putting out there, what the news was talking to you about. And, you know, you had your own definition of what that looks like. So without the researcher in you, what did that just look like growing up? What did it mean to be healthy and fit as as a young child?
2: Uh, It meant uh, on the nutrition side, mom mom preparing meals that I enjoyed, given that uh, the types of activities I was doing required um, a certain amount of energy. So it often happened. I mean, if I try and recollect what it looked like, it was generally a breakfast that included eggs, bacon, a piece of toast uh, with butter on it. And at certain times, soybeans were substituted or we'd have fish at breakfast. So what I would call a healthy breakfast, one that would sustain me for at least a few hours until it was time to have a snack or lunch. And it's interesting because if you look at today, what is considered a heart healthy breakfast or a healthy breakfast it looks, looks nothing like that's right what I was eating back in those days. And I I ate that in elementary school and then in high school as well. That's how the day started. And so for me, who played team sports that involved a lot of running, soccer in elementary school and cricket in the summertime, and then in high school, it would have been cricket and rugby union football. uh, You needed to start the day with a a meal that would allow you to at least get to 10 o'clock in the morning because our school started early. I typically eat breakfast at 7.15 after going for a run at about 5, 5.30 in the morning because if you want to do any kind of training to facilitate good performance in the sport you play and I'd say this would be primarily in high school now when I was doing this. But.
1: Did your parents have did your parents have any knowledge of health and nutrition or, you know, what was their background? Were they, yeah, tell us that because I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to share a story shortly and it's going <laughs> to, well, my parents' definition what health and fitness was not what, what it should be.
2: No, it wasn't at all. My mom actually uh, growing up in the culture, we grew up, it wasn't um, I'm going to put it in parentheses or quotation marks acceptable for women to be athletes Women were supposed to get married, stay in the home, raise a family, but not be physically active or athletic, participate in sport. There were very few, there were sports for girls in elementary school and high school, but generally once they left high school, it was pretty much over unless they played club sport. But yeah, no background in nutrition. I think they were doing just what their parents had done. And those parents were doing what their grandparents had done. They'd figured out what worked and what didn't work. And my mom's side of the family uh, were farmers. And so they needed to eat in a way that would allow them to work for 12 to 14 to 15 hours a day. Uh, my My dad was an accountant. So he wasn't super active during the day, but he was very active in sport. He played representative sport. But nutrition didn't really come to the fore, for, for me at least, until I started reading. I was very interested in running, middle distance running, and so I started to read what Arthur Lydiard was doing in New Zealand with the runners he was training, and particularly Percy Sarudi in Australia who had a very well-structured nutrition plan for the middle distance runners that he was training. And then there were magazines, and I, I can't even recall what they were, but they were old weight training magazines. You know, the original ones back in the ni- that started probably in the late 50s, 1960s, 1970s, that Had very structured nutrition plans to support the the type of strength training that individuals were doing. So I I would say it wasn't really until I was about maybe fourteen or fifteen that I got really interested in eating in a way that would support the type of activities I was interested in.
1: So you got your education out of a magazine for the most part or out of some kind of literature or some articles. And it only happened when you became aware that you probably needed to optimize your health, uh, better for sport and performance. And so you had an enlightenment, you know, around the age of 14, 15, Adam, did this ever happen for you health and fitness wise, considering that you're not, you know, you, you pushed away from sport and chose more of the, uh, music career. You know what did that look like for you as far as like health and fitness growing up? Was it even on your radar, and is it even on your radar?
0: No, no, it it, it wasn't on my radar, uh, especially from from my parents. It was never even a topic of conversation. Uh, never entered the house. Never entered my brain. Um, I I didn't even know what it was like to to maybe you know fuel your body for what activities your body was going to be doing that day. Um, for me, it was like, hey, if you're hungry, you eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 also Yeet was in the house. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so for me, like it was, uh, a, a lot of my upbringing has been a self-education.
1: Got it. And what you're doing now and, and we, in holding up, I'm not sure if you're privy to this yet, but Adam and I had discussed it in one of our earlier episodes to, uh, get Adam kind of jacked. We're going to, we're going to grow him up a little bit and, uh, they'll put some muscle on him. So he had. Already in in one of our Q&As talked a little bit about some questions he was asking me, and one was about his diet, and I kind of picked it apart. And so my man's going to have to eat a little bit more. We're going to have to put some good wholesome protein in there to help build his body, those muscles, that structure, those bones, and different things to help support uh, the weight that we'll put on him. But i got to say, most America and most of the world is not really sensible about what they're eating. They just basically take this very laissez-faire Look, and what's the data show right now of how many people are actually obese based on probably what they think is healthy guidelines put on by our government or our, um, our officers that actually deem this? And there's a whole agenda we're going to get into regarding our uh, food pyramid and all these other things. But what is it, 40% of people right now are obese? Is that is that the number?
2: Yeah, I think the latest data from the CDC just came out uh, in the last 14 days or so, 42%. Um, obese, And, you know, actually, it's interesting because when I started teaching this epidemiology of health and exercise course, and I started teaching that in the late 80s, early 90s, I think our obesity prevalence back then was only around 20%. Amazing. And, and what what's happened is over time, they've changed it because it's based on body mass index. So, it's your mass in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. So, it's self data yeah they identify a population you know randomly ask them what do you weigh you know it will be in pounds because we're in the US what's your height in inches uh, do the metric conversion or you don't even need to do that and uh, it's just crept up it's been creeping up year after year and that's for obesity if you look at overweight, and obesity it's probably around 3 quarters of the population right yeah, now
1: yeah that's right and obesity define for us what obesity is uh, you know as far as the body mass index is correlated is it not 29% oh, for male well, and 30 something from f- a bit yeah if,
2: if you use bmi there are a whole host of problems with bmi because yeah. it's self reported weight people are generally going to report that they weigh less than they actually weigh and they're going to report that they're taller than they actually are Mm -hmm. and so already you have an error there and then body type or what we call somatotype influences whether you're an ectomorph look like a pencil if you a um, mesomorph look very muscular or you're an endomorph you look round so those things influence it but if we just go off bmi um it's 30 it's a value of 30 um kilograms per meter squared
1: yeah and, uh, it's different for male and female, but regardless, it's, 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 it's a high enough number for the most part. And if, and again, you mentioned the, the flaws in looking at BMI alone, as a, as opposed to like a body fat, what is body fat? Do you have, do you know, do you know off the top of your head? Uh,
2: we, for health, uh, men need to be somewhere between 15 and 20% body fat and for women it's somewhere around 26 to 32%, I think are the thresholds, you know,
0: somewhere in
1: that range.
0: That's right.
1: Okay. That's right. And so if you're between fifteen and, and
0: Yeah, so uh according to Google here, twenty six percent plus for men, thirty two percent plus for women.
1: And that's body fat. Yes. Yeah. And you would be obese. Yeah. You would be obese, yeah. It's 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 a high enough bar that, you know, it's for us to, you know, think about, you know, eating for our needs and not overindulging and, and being overweight. And what I don't like about the world today, and I, I wanna bring up my really quick story shortly. But, like, it's okay, and it's been glorified as, as good for you when these overweight people, today's day and age, are, I'm fat and proud, right? Like, the, the movement, I'm fat and proud, and look at me. I don't know what that message serves, um, besides to say I'm healthy in my own skin, which is fine. Um, I have a good self-confidence and a good self-image, but is that not irresponsible, um, especially for us health practitioners for the most part, to say, well, unfortunately, you might be a very happy person. You might be sexy fat. And I think there's a thing because somebody who can wear themselves bigger uh, or, or is bigger, but wear clothes and wear, wear their, their feelings. And like you'll look at somebody who's overweight, but they wear it well. And their confidence is there. And their pride is there. And, and they don't look as big as somebody else. Who would be the, if you took the clothes right. off they looked the exact same um, but their confidence builds this thing and I, and I can I can get behind the movement and in deep health that's a piece of the puzzle so you know they might be checking the box off in this this um, you know mind uh, you know environment where we we, we look at the spiritual um, you know psyche of our, our being and our healthy mind etc but they're missing the boat that it's not okay to walk around in this position because You're now at risk for all of these other leading indicators of health that, uh, you know, say, for example, I believe the heart attacks right now rate is um, one or two is the leading cause of death in America. But um, that's that's my point is like when, when we look at these people that now it's like sexy to be fat and this other agenda, I think there just needs to be a little bit more. Education along this line. Like, it's good to have a good self image and a good body image, but, you know, we need to make sure that folks are aware that, you know, they're putting themselves at risk when they're carrying around this much weight. And, you know, they would be doing themselves a service um, and the health system a service provided they got themselves into a a more comfortable weight that would not be obese and that would be something that they can walk around, have more energy, more health, um, and just a longer longevity of life.
2: Yeah, I'll say a few things in response to that. I don't believe weight's a good indicator of health. So um, I had two girls, uh, two daughters. I do have two daughters. Uh, We never had a scale in the house. And I never spoke to them ever about what their bodies looked like. I just refused to do that because I don't believe that weight is an indicator of your health and there's enough unattainable messaging that happens to girls and to young women and even older women about what their body should look like and that's driven by the media. Mm -hmm. I am very, very convicted that um, what we should be focused on is health and if you are eating in a way that supports health and specifically you raise the issue of chronic diseases right so the leading ones are heart disease cancer and diabetes is actually increasingly prevalent um how should you be eating to minimize your risk of developing those diseases at an accelerated rate and suffering the health consequences of them, and in particular diabetes, um, which is a very serious condition. And we know that with diabetes in particular, about 95% of the diabetics in the United States are type 2 diabetics, that means they're insulin-resistant, and that when they present with that diabetes, they are generally overweight or obese, or they have an increased waist circumference, which is reflective of their metab- metabolic disorder. Now, we are starting to see it in a lot of young people as well. So I work in eSports, which we've talked about a little bit before. Mm-hmm. You know, Are they actually athletes? And we're starting to see in these 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds that they are pre-diabetic or diabetic, but that's primarily because of their occupation or their sports, sitting a lot, being very sedentary, and consuming large amounts of excess sugars every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I don't like the scale. I don't like talking about what you look like. I'm far more interested in the fact that we need to eat in a way that is not toxic, that doesn't harm our health. And unfortunately in the United States, we have processed foods with added sugars in them. We have dietary recommendations that drive high carbohydrate consumption and if you take those two in combination over time one of the outcomes will be excess body fat accumulation and weight if you want to focus on that excess weight
1: yeah i didn't and it's just a habit um talking weight you know just it's just been so commonplace to say it so when i'm Referencing these things, I could care less about weight because often I'm, I'm seen obese on those scales oftentimes because I carry around a lot more mass and this, the structure of my muscle is much more dense. So those calculators often perceive me as someone who's obese. Yeah, it's and they
2: would. Better. Yeah, they would for you. Absolutely.
1: But yeah. my body fat essentially would be lower and, um, you know, by some definitions that would mean something. However, interesting enough, when I went for life insurance a few years back, you know, I'm still above the threshold to be seen as is really good because regardless of you know my body fat my weight alone per my height put me at risk for uh you know just at risk for dying earlier than somebody who would be you know a smaller body pumping less the heart has to work less and all these other things so it's an interesting context of how all these things get formulated and who's the arbiter of uh you know these. Um, I'm assuming that the life insurance is just the, the mortality rates and the, looking at who's died and what. I'm sure it's just a data crunch at that point. But you know, Holden, you bring up a great point that you know, understanding that potentially, you know, maybe that just the looks alone are certainly not a great indicator of a person's health because you can certainly have you can certainly have um, you know a healthy individual um, who's eating all the right things and comes back with. Great blood and all these other things that potentially might have some other, you know, hormonally things going on that might cause them to retain a little bit more body fat. But Holden, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit back a little bit on that because if you might know and and you might have taught your daughters very well on health and what they should be doing and what they should be eating, but if if Joe Normal comes in and wants to look at themselves and, and compare themselves to something, you know. Weight's probably not the greatest indicator, but a body fat is. So how do we start structuring out um, actionable things for people to take home to find out if they're healthy or not? And most people already know. Um, they're eating like crap, there might be their body fat might be, you know, in a range where, you know, if you can grab a hold of, of a you know something and it's not supposed to be there, it's probably not supposed to be there. So again, how can we give actionable, really simple insights to folks to start focusing on health and prioritize that? without, you know, if, if we go by your definition, without looking in the mirror, you know, because I, I find that very hard to do, you know, that's much more, I would say, of an, an advanced metric. So with looking at the mirror, maybe the weights, not the where we start them, but looking at the body fat. So how best is it for someone to get body fat tested, um, you know, today?
2: Yeah. I mean, we can talk about all the different methods, you know, starting with a height weight thing with a the BMI, then skinfold calipers would be the next thing. Uh, you can use hydrostatic weighing. Uh, there are bioimpedance systems now that have pretty robust um, algorithms. We have air displacement, plethysmography. So you have all these technical ways of doing it, but all of them have inbuilt errors, right? Because they're relying on algorithms that have been built on, you know, a pretty good range of um Age within the population together with um, sex. And um, some of them take into account um, more of what we consider to be body composition. So most of the body compositions we use are based on a two-compartment model, that we divide body composition into a fat compartment and a lean body mass compartment. Yep. But lean body mass is... About 60% of our body mass, our weight, is water weight, and that's That's pretty variable. And then you've got bone mineral in there, which at least in women is quite variable because it's largely based on, well, it's to a certain extent based on hormonal levels, particularly estrogen. Um, You've got the bone mineral compartment, and then you've got muscle, skeletal muscle, um, and so, how do you how do you factor those compartments into your estimate of what the body composition is? Um, so I use it, but I, I I talk to my students who are going into medical school or perhaps the health fitness area that you can use it as a guide, but it should not be used as a prescription. You can use it as an indicator of progress that is being made or to help you set goals for the person that you are working with or advising on nutrition and exercise. But don't use it as a, a tool to tell them where they need to be. Um, I, I personally, I like your idea of looking in the mirror or reflecting back to when you were 18, 19, or 20 years of age mm-hmm. and what size clothes were you wearing back then. Are you still wearing the same size dress? Are you still wearing the same size pants if you're a guy? Are you wearing the same belt as you did when you were 18, 19, or 20? If you are still doing that, then probably not much has changed, whether you're 40, 50, or 60. However, if you're not wearing those same size clothing, if they you're having to buy much larger clothing, then that's generally an indicator that you're accumulating body fat. If you're a guy and you're standing with your feet together and you look down and you can't see your feet.
1: <laughs> There's another one. There's <laughs> another one you can see something the
0: That's the
1: indicator.
2: Yeah, that's a very good indicator that you actually have accumulated body fat in probably one of the worst places to do it Because we know that abdominal body fat secretes highly inflammatory substances into the blood. And most of our chronic diseases, heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's disease, and so on, are diseases of inflammation in the body. So I I like the idea of clothing. If your clothing's getting tight, you need to change something. Other than like if you're training Adam, who's going to hopefully, you know, gonna, gonna be a responder. If he's going to be a responder to your program, your nutrition and training program, then he's going to need, hopefully, larger clothes. But I'm going to
1: give him some clothes to say, hey, you can't stop eating until you fit into these clothes. <laughs> oh <my God.
0: laughs> yeah. So, it's so, so what we're saying here. I mean, am, am I hearing you guys correct? So, so you can be fit but, and, and not healthy or you can be healthy and, and not fit
1: both yeah there's a there's a way because i mean literally you could you could take blood samples of somebody and kind of just make sure that they're normal health markers and we probably we won't do it in this episode because we have to probably brainstorm on exactly what we could give as a prescriptive definition of health from this podcast that would say hey if these markers are here it's probably some general good advice that we can give you so we'll, we'll get back to you guys on another further episode on these fit tip fridays but absolutely adam that you can be healthy and and maybe not look it, and you could maybe obviously um, you know look um, look really good and not be very healthy. And I could attest to that right now with uh, the bodybuilding circuit. You know, us is you know athletes that have trained their body into the two to three percent body fat. And you know, I know when people say two percent, and it's kind of funny, but the three percent is much more reasonable. Three to four percent, you know, is where most of you know the people that are on stage are, are sitting, uh, dependent you're not really healthy at that level. So there's definitely, you know, you can't sustain those levels, you know, that super, super low body fat. So that's not healthy either. So yeah, there's both spectrums that exist. And when we're referencing deep health, um, there's a whole other component that's psychological and, 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 and so on. And so Holden, you, you can agree with that. And, you know, I yeah. really like your, your, your health assessment using the clothes that you, when right. you were young and feeling healthy and fit is, is a good metric to say, Hey, can I actually fit into those clothes too? Uh, so don't throw away your, your pants. Uh, you know, when you were a kid, don't, don't be giving them away. They're, they're the way you're going to test yourself. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, and that's true. You can, as you mentioned, there's a, what we call a critical level of body fat below, which if you go below that critical level, you start, if you're an athlete, you start getting injured or you start having, um, more frequent um, health issues. You know, it could be upper respiratory tract infections. It could be chronic fatigue, things like that. So, for men, uh, the the essential amount of fat we need in our bodies in order to sustain life is three percent. For women, it's generally somewhere around twelve percent. Now, there are exceptions. There's some uh, marathon runners, women we have body fat as low as eight or 9% and they store what we would, you know, the term healthy again in parentheses, they still healthy. You know, a a doctor would look at that or someone who works um, in the area of metabolism might look at 8% body fat in a woman and say, that's a serious issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a
2: serious concern, but They're still menstruating normally, they're having children, if they they desire, and they don't have any of the consequences that you would expect for that low level of body fat. But that's the exception rather than the rule. Understood. Um, With endurance athletes, most of the cyclists, at least, that I've had um, the opportunity to work with, if they drop below 5% body fat, they start getting injured, they start getting sick. They start having difficulties with sustaining their training loads. So they are, and it's individual, not everyone, but in general, that would be the level for guys.
1: So here's an interesting one too. Let's talk about CrossFit athletes like Matt Frazier, for example, Mm -hmm. you could look at that guy and you would say he's not the most fit person on the field, but he absolutely is. So the definitions get really skewed here, right? Um, You know, fit doesn't always mean look fit means, you know, some other things. So, we could we could split hairs all day along this this issue but you know i think it goes into like body dysmorphia and these other things that you know there's a whole skew of things that we could talk about under this uh, general topic but i really like the takeaway from today's topic is that you know looking at you know some clothing um that you were early, you were wearing earlier or just referencing what those sizes might have been and if it's a good indication that today if you're 10 20 30 years later not able to fit into those You probably have done something to your body um, through poor eating habits or lack of activity that's caused you to, um, you know, gain some weight uh, or gain some body fat. And it doesn't always have to be weight, as as, uh, Holden's mentioning here. So good indication of what to take home and just a simple straightforward message to say, hey, this is a good way to baseline test yourself where you're at. But I also like what you mentioned, too, is that. You know, those measurement tools and looking in the mirror and all those other things could be certainly baselines and maybe even using um, a measurement tool to, you know, go around circumferences and things of that nature. So those are much more um, objective tools than looking at some subjective things of looking in the mirror. Because you could look in the mirror and not be happy with what you see and could be anorexic and small and have no body fat. So um, your mind plays a good trick on you. And that's what part of the deep health uh, initiative is that we're talking about. you got to be sound up top and, you know, internal itself. Um, which, which all goes hand in hand. My upbringing, just circling back, and we'll close this episode out here shortly, is that I played sports all my life, and, and I didn't know how best to eat, so I was eating sugar and ice cream and different things, and peanut butter jelly sandwiches with loaded, I was just eating calories, and that was just to make up for the training that I was burning, and just trying to gain weight. I was an ectomorph growing up, and managed to get myself into much more of a mesomorphic body structure we're talking somatotype here the three ones that he mentioned earlier and uh you know sometimes you just got to eat calories but having known or knowing what i know now i would certainly be structuring that food intake much differently it would be less sugar based right because those sugars you can only have you know basically have so much of it before the excess gets stored as fat we you know we'll, we'll do a breakdown on the nutrition process at some point but, you know, more complex, uh, you know, recommendations and different things. So if you're a young kid trying to gain weight, throw those, uh, throw rice, throw throw these other more complex, um, you know, opportunities in there. Sweet potatoes, um, things that have much more girth, uh, and then get your protein in there, making sure that you're getting adequate protein. And guys, calories uh, from fat are very dense. You don't have to eat a whole lot of them to make them a, a lot more sense. So you can definitely, you know, get by adding a lot more fats to your diet. It's, you know, we find, I, I think, in one of the memes I saw online shows, uh, someone goes, It's people always think it's a, you're eating too much carbs, carbs get a bad rap. But the combination of eating carbs with fats is often what we see in our fast food restaurants. So that combination together is often what get, gets a bad rap. So if you're very intentional about taking in uh, a healthy, nutritious type of meal... Um, often it's usually one or the other, and it actually looks like the food that you're eating for the most part. A is going to look like a potato. Uh, a nut's going to look like a nut. A protein's going to look like a chicken breast or something like that. Um, but it's it's when we start creating these morphed um, foods that are heavily processed and have all these different nutrients and injections of things that are in them is where we go wrong. But it's it's one of those things where to help you guys get general fitness advice, it's, it's not so simple, but take away the small things from this episode would be you know looking at yourself very objectively and maybe the scale is not a great indicator body fat doesn't always give you the best of tools but it gives you a starting baseline and something that you could possibly use as a mechanism to find improvement and 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 upgrade choice that way and uh probably you know finding out what you need to feel and look like to provide your energy for each day and then maybe if you're in a in a, a sport you know how best you can optimize your health and fitness uh, nutrient path and, and activity to better endure your sport as a runner as as Holden was saying and, and other things there's a specific uh, way that you should be eating and it shouldn't just be general advice so when people always ask me for general advice I always have a slew of questions that ask them first and they always just want some simple fix there's no simple fix
2: um, yeah I would say I would say eat real food. Um, meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, and no added sugars. I mean, that's kind of a very simple place to start. Um, and you need to eat in a way to where you're not hungry every ninety minutes to two hours. Ninety minutes. So satiety. I need to be able to eat, and then you know maybe it's three or four hours before I need to eat again. That would be ideal. So you have to figure out for you what that looks like because it's going to be different, as you said. For each individual, it's going to be definitely different if you're competing in sport because it's very sport-specific. But ultimately, that, that would be the most sustainable way of eating to where you're not hungry for at least three or four hours after eating And that it allows you to do the things that you need to do, whether it's uh, in your job, um, with your kids, or in the sport or activity that you choose to participate in.